0: Hi, I'm Kat Cho, author of Wicked Fox,
1: and I'm Clara Bell Airtega, author of Ghost Squad and Witchlings. And this is Right or Die. Woo! Adding Witchlings onto it. <laughs> <laughs> snap, snap, snap. <laughs> Gotta That's let super people know. Exciting. Witchlingsworld.com. Um, so, tell people what Witchlings is about. Sure. So, uh, Witchlings is about a young witch named Seven Salazar, who, and we meet her on the night of the Black Moon ceremony, which is uh, when everyone in the town of Ravenskill gets sorted into their coven. She really wants to get into the into House Hyacinth, which is like the the most powerful coven with her best friend, Poppy, who's very popular. Mm -hmm. Uh, But instead, she (laughs) ends up getting sorted into the spare coven, which is like the leftover, which is that nobody, like they don't really belong anywhere. They don't match with anybody else. So there's always three of those. And um, she gets sorted into that coven with uh, her bully, Valley uh, and with the new girl in town, Thorn. And so um, what ends up happening is they have to they have to solve this thing called the impossible task, which seven invokes in order to close their circle, or they become a trio of toads. And um, and the impossible task is they have to uh, fell uh, this monster, this wolf-like monster called the night beast who eats babies. (laughs) Oh God! (laughs) Um, Amazing. Babies and witches. So, so yeah, so it's like a, it's like a horror, uh, um it's like a a, hor- a horror fantasy mystery type of a uh, a uh, middle grade with you know friendship breakups and uh, misunderstood uh friends and 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 grief and um there's one of the witchlings who's dealing with abuse at home as well Aww. um so there's a lot of heavy stuff but it's also like very funny and like joyful and there's a baby named beefy named after Beth's dog (laughs) (laughs) I'm
0: so excited I love this and Ravenskill is based on
1: Peekskill yeah uh uh, Ravenskill is based on Peekskill and like the world that uh it's set in is called the 12 towns so it's these 12 towns that are along the Boggy Witch River (laughs) and they're all magical towns and um and I'm really excited Ah! about it it's 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 coming out next year, 2022, with nice. Scholastic. I I believe it's coming out in the spring. I think like probably around the same time Ghost Squad came out in April, but not too okay. far yet. Uh, but but yeah, I'm, I I love the book. I it's it's super special to me. I think that it's amazing. There are there are covens to be sorted into, which is really fun <laughs>
0: um, we should there's... make like a quiz for people yeah
1: there's gonna be a quiz I'm gonna have a, a site with the quiz for people to be sorted nice. there's gonna be a seal for each coven um, there's gonna be artwork and all of that fun stuff it's gonna be really cool
0: let's do an Instagram live where where we sort ourselves oh my god that's a really
1: good idea <laughs> maybe by then TikTok will fix itself
0: Oh my goodness, this was a thing. Um, if anyone has, does not follow me and Claireville on TikTok, you should because uh, you can see our struggle in real time of us trying to figure out this app and how to exist on it because we have no idea what we're doing. Mm-mm. But um, we tried to do a TikTok live after um, like a couple of days ago and, and did not realize that apparently it's not available in the U.S.
1: Yeah, we looked like grandmothers. We, like, we did. where is the button? Yeah, I understand. Can you Google it? Can people tell us Just in the any comments? any young person in the chat
0: know. know? Do we have any Gen Zs in the chat? We no, need a like, Gen Z.
1: They weren't there for us. How dare you? I know,
0: you? Um, um, but it's okay. It's okay. We we ended up both doing our own individual lives and, and it was fine, but yeah. one day, one day. It was really it fun,
1: out. actually. I really liked going live on TikTok. I got a lot of questions and like people that don't normally interact with me on other platforms Mm -hmm. uh so it was really nice it was like people who like the information i was giving was like brand new to them they were like oh my god this is so helpful (laughs) oh that's so good oh i'm glad yeah and actually i i don't know if you saw but uh they so they revealed the cover for this is our rainbow which is a lgbtq Mm -hmm. plus middle grade anthology the very first one um and i put i made a video about it on tiktok and it like went mini viral and Aww. i got like 500 followers from it cat oh wow that's amazing yeah I suddenly i'm at 1500 followers and i'm like Ooh, what girl. the heck maybe you nice. can beat ryan i'm actually getting closer to him but why i'm not gonna say anything because every time i get close to him he goes like super viral and then he gains like a thousand followers so ah, oh, so unfair annoying <laughs> a hex upon ryan
0: um, yeah, everyone who listens to write or die has to follow me and Clarabelle and not Ryan, not Ryan, unfollow um, him
1: immediately, unfollow
0: him, unfollow him, at least for like a week so that Clarabelle can catch up and then you can refollow him just yeah. so that like Clarabelle can say, I beat him, <laughs> that, that they beat him.
1: Yeah, and our <laughs> links, one day, our links are in the bio too, for people who want to yeah. uh, follow us on on TikToky.
0: My new thing about like TikTok that I've I've decided, I guess I decided when I joined TikTok was that I wanted to try to do different content than I do on my other social media. Mm. I like for each of my social media to kind of be different. Mm. And I know that this is a strategy a lot of people have, um, but it's in no way like the only way to do it. But TikTok is like more supposed to be about like my goofy side, like me being like completely off the cuff and weird and like not overly planning anything. Like I'll think of a TikTok I want to make and I'll make it and post it all at once. Whereas like on Instagram, I'll take a bunch of bookstagrams in a day and I'll edit them and I'll think about the caption and I'll schedule them out. Like, and then I think of like Twitter more as like me having like more of an active conversation Mm. with people who follow me. Um, that's how I, like, personally do it. I don't know if, if you're the same, Claire Bell.
1: Um, Yeah, I, I do. I, I actually – I have ideas for TikTok, and, I, like, I write them down because I'm, I'm scatterbrained, so I'll forget something <laughs> if I don't write it down. So I have, like, a note in my phone with, like, different mm-hmm. ideas. But a lot of times the TikToks that I end up making are, like, that too. I just, like, sort of make them off the cuff and then post them. And it's just really fun. I don't know. It's, like – I guess maybe because the app is newer, um, mm-hmm. there's no, there there's no like issues happening, um, on there <laughs> that, like, we know of. Just, that we know of, like, or I'm not involved in them at least. Like I can just sort of post and like have fun with people and like chat with people, mm-hmm. um, about different things. And, and there's a lot of authors who like only post author stuff on TikTok. I don't really mm-hmm. like doing that. Cause I feel like it's limiting. And I'm also like, I know that's like the strategy, like you have to pick a niche or whatever. Yeah. But that's no fun for me. Like that's not how I am anywhere. Like I- I'm mm-hmm. a mixture of things and I like having fun with uh, wherever I am. If I'm not having fun, then I'm not going to do it. So, yeah. um, so I do post like mostly writing and author related stuff, but like, it's like, it's, there is more silliness to it I definitely agree um and like and I'll post random stuff too like like the other day I I did one of those blind react videos mm-hmm. and it was for the game
0: oh my god I saw it and I was I saw so it. mad
1: because I really did blind react to it and he got me I was like no
0: <laughs> I was so
1: mad <laughs>
0: That's, I mean fair though I've, I've seen a few of those where they're like blind react to this and it's and it's the game now I I don't I don't trust any blind reacts now
1: (laughs) I like like, them I think they're really funny I love to watch people um blind react to it but like it's it's interesting like tiktok like author tiktok is like kind of a new phenomenon right now and I still think it's like very fresh like not a lot of authors are on it still and I think it's because people are really afraid to make tiktoks
0: well because it's video and I get that some it's because it's video and I get Mm -hmm. that like some people just don't like the medium of
1: videos yeah um and that's fair i think i think uh you shouldn't do stuff if you feel uncomfortable with it. Like I always mm-hmm. say, like you don't have to be on every social media. I love when like a new social media pops up and people are like another one. I'm so angry. And it's like, you, you're you okay though. You don't, you really don't have to join. Like if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. Um, I feel
0: like I'm being dragged because that's legit my reaction to Clubhouse. I was like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. <laughs> like in like- our group chat, I was like, What?
1: It can feel like peer pressure when everybody's doing it and everybody's on it, but you can't take it that way. You just have to sort of realize this is going to happen a lot. There's going to be a lot of social media platforms that come and go. Some of them are going to mm-hmm. stick around. Um, I feel like Clubhouse might stick around depending on like the next steps. I think the accessibility is a big issue with that app. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, Because people with auditory issues, people in the deaf community they can't Mm -hmm. use it there's no Oh, there's no transcript there's no transcript and that is like super limiting Mm -hmm. um and uh but i do think that if they work out some of those things it might end up being very popular and i think that's because people are tired of fighting uh (laughs) a lot of people not everybody some people that's just all they want to do but um Mm -hmm. A lot of people are tired of fighting, and I think that hearing someone's voice um, and hearing their tone can make a difference uh, when you're discussing anything, Yeah, especially, okay. like, touchy subjects, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. Write or Die is brought to you in part by TeePublic.
0: Tee Public is home to independent art on stickers, cases, shirts,
1: and more. Check out our Write or Die store at tpublic.com slash stores slash write or die podcast.
0: Check it
1: out now. All right, today's guest is Kasoko Jackson. Kosoko is a digital media specialist focusing on digital storytelling, email, social, and SMS marketing, and a freelance political journalist. Occasionally, his personal essays and short stories have been featured on Medium, Thought Catalog, The Advocate, and some literary magazines. When not writing YA novels that champion holistic representation of Black queer youth across genres, he can be found obsessing over movies, drinking his umpteenth London Fog, or spending far too much time on Twitter. His YA debut, Yesterday is History, will come out it's, it's already out now, <laughs> and it's published by Sourcebooks Fire. and his adult own voices queer rom-com, I'm So Not Over You, will come out in 2022 by Berkeley Romance. Welcome to the show. Ooh, welcome. Thanks for having
2: me. I'm so excited to
1: be here. Yes, we're so excited to have you. I actually didn't, I don't think I knew about your, uh, about your rom-com. That's, I love the oh title. Oh my gosh, Val. What's wrong with me? You're missing out.
2: <laughs> I don't like in April of this year, of during the panty. So like, I get it. I
1: I it it could it could be that I did know about it, but my brain is made of like mashed potatoes, and like because of everything, like I always have a bad memory, but now it's like worse. It's like way worse. Mm-hmm. I have a hard, so hard time.
2: Have... Yeah. What was that? So many people I know have like really their memory has been affected from the pandemic. So mm-hmm. totally get it. Yeah, I went through sure. that
0: situation where they had those end of year lists at the end of 2020, and I was like, "That book didn't come out this year." And then I had to like think back, and I was like, "Oh, it came out in February, so it didn't feel like this year, but it is still the one." So
1: year. bananas, like I, I really it's feel like it's like... been like 10 years. Mm. Yes,
0: we are all that Titanic uh, meme. <laughs> it's been 84 <laughs> years. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so super excited. Your, your debut novel just came out, which we are all so happy about and still in celebration mode. Um, but for anyone who hasn't heard of it, do you want to give like a little quick um, pitch to our listeners?
2: Sure. So yesterday's history uh, came out February 2nd by Sourcebooks Fire. It follows Andre Cobb, a 17-year-old recovering from a liver transplant and really excited to get his life back on track. But, of course, in every single YA, there's always a wrench that's thrown into the plans. And for this book, he discovers that the liver has given him the ability to time travel, um teleports back to nineteen sixty nine where he meets an activist named Michael Gray, who used to live in his house and starts a love triangle between Michael Gray in nineteen sixty nine and Blake McIntyre, the younger brother of his liver donor, who is also belongs to a family of time travelers who's assigned begrudgingly to teach Andre how to time travel. So it's a love triangle that spans like sixty years.
0: Oh my gosh. I
1: love that so much. It's like, amazing, so, so, so much, so creative. Yes. W- where did the idea sort of come from for this book? I don't want to say, "Well, it's your inspiration," but because <laughs> we know we love getting that question. But w- w- what was the seed for for this for this book? Like, and when did you start
2: writing it? Sure. So I started writing it in summer of 2018. I was actually at Bea. Rest in peace.
1: <laughs> She's coming back. Don't worry. I, She's I know coming. It. Well, she'll, not she'll well, not Bea, but BookCon book is not going to die trust me.
2: Thank you. Because, like, we need that.
1: Info. <laughs> yeah, I do. I have intel. <laughs>
2: um, and so I was in New York and I visited Stonewall because I had some free time. And I was like, this is a great thing. Like, we don't really talk about LGBT history enough. So I kind of went to a bookstore after that. I went to the Strand after that. Um, and I was like touring the stacks, listening to Halsey's album on my headphones. And I was really gravitated to stories that in the adult genre are focused on like using letters. Like there's always been these stories about some woman who's like in her attic and discovers like a pile of letters from like the 1800s mm. and it bounces <laughs> back and forth. I was like, this is a great plot device, but we've seen it a hundred times. So how do I talk about the LGBT movement and how civil rights has changed, but it's also the same without going into the cliche of letters. And I love science fiction. So I emailed my agent, Jim McCarthy, and was like, let's make a love triangle that's POC, that also has to do with organ transplants and organ donations, and is also science fiction by organ transplants. And he was like, "That's weird. Sure, let's do it."
0: <laughs> I can totally imagine Jim saying exactly those words and <laughs> being like, "That sounds bad shit. Do it."
2: <laughs> Every email between Jim is like me, like cleverly crafting 500 words, and then he just says, "Dot dot dot." That's weird. Give me 50 pages. <laughs> No, but I,
1: I love that, though. I love that it's original, you know? Like, I've literally never heard anything like it. And that, I feel like, is both rare and really cool It makes me want to read it so much more. Thank you. It's so kind.
0: I like the idea that you took things that interested you and you, like, knew that there was an existing formula for, like, people discovering, like, things that happened in the past from firsthand accounts. And you were like, but do it more. <laughs> like, but make it a little more
2: yeah take it to the next level
0: yeah which I think is is just a fun way to kind of reimagine the things that we grew up with right like we grew up with a lot of classics a lot of like standard tropes and archetypes but why not like imagine it going to 10 you know like so that's lovely I really I really like that and I also love that you're like new that you're listening to Halsey <laughs> In the
2: Strand. I still listen to the Badlands album. Like, I still listen to it probably... It's my writing soundtrack in the morning. So Mm -hmm. I listen to it, like, every day, probably five days a week, um, obsessively.
0: So do you write in the morning before you start your day job? Or is it, like, more sporadic?
2: So I write from... If I get up in the morning, which I've been trying to, like, make it religious, I write from 8.30 until... 8.50 until 10.15, five days a week. And then I edit at nighttime, usually from like eight till about ten PM, often on like while I'm watching TV. And then on the weekends I write on like a passion project.
1: Interesting. I love I love how organized you are. I Yeah, I, I, I never. I, I could never. I really I was on oh Sorry, my medication alarm. That always goes off while we're recording. Um, one time it went <laughs> off while we were recording Write or Die, and Ryan just started singing along to it. It was the funniest thing ever. Of course
0: he did. Um, <laughs> you mean Celebrity Book Club? What did I say? You said Write or Die. Oh, my God. this podcast. I was
1: um, like, I'm sorry. Are you recording "Right or Die episodes without me? <laughs> The ride or die two, you're, you're rogue with Ryan Lasala. Your rogue episodes. Um, this is uh, this cannot stand Kosoko and I are going to start our own ride or die without you,
2: ride or die three.
0: Yeah, but to, to write, to die.
1: Tokyo drifts. All right, I'm sorry, I forgot what I was saying now oh sorry no but before that I was gonna um we're talking about how disciplined
0: uh the writing yeah yeah I
1: it's so funny because I get this question a lot now like what's your writing uh schedule like what do you do uh during the day now that you write full time and like for a while I was really good about waking up really early and like working out and then writing and then like the deeper we got into the panini the worse uh my schedule got and like now I'm like wake up at noon <laughs> watch some k-drama drink <laughs> a iced coffee maybe eat like I'm a mess now I, ne- I need to get back on the horse so maybe this is going to uh inspire me to do that hopefully
2: well, the thing so you just need really... a schedule
0: mm-hmm. yeah but the thing that really intrigues me is the fact that you decide what time of day you do very specific tasks like drafting versus revising. So like, do you mean that like, if you're working on a book, you draft a chapter in the morning and then you revise that same chapter that evening, or is this because you're on deadline for multiple projects?
2: Um, I try to draft like two chapters behind so that I'm not writing the same thing and editing it the same day. So it has some breathing room. So I draft, I revise by reading aloud and then um just like editing it for context to make sure the words are strong and because i am a horrible spelling and grammar person like as you know from my tweets there's always a typo um (laughs) i take like some of my book advance and i always pay a freelance like copy editor to make sure that like everything's copy edited i just want to make sure that the developmental edits on my own are good and the line edits are good but then we do a copy edit with someone else
1: oh wow that's so interesting I've literally Do, never heard of anyone doing that before in my life.
0: Yeah. Do you, Did you start doing that before you were under contract for books, or you only started doing that after you got your first book deal?
2: So what happened was that when I gave the first draft of Yesterday's History to my editor, Annie Berger, there was actually a note in there in the edit letter that said, this is atrociously messy. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: Annie, no! <laughs>
2: <laughs> there was a whole paragraph about like the typos that i had the, how the names changed how the eye color changed locations changed she was like you need to do a copy edit and i was like oh no well, oh my gosh so, and that's
0: you so funny. and and like i know you have a full-time job so like be- you just felt like you didn't have enough hours in the day you decided to go to outside help.
2: Well, I was also, like, when I was little, I was homeschooled um, for, like, my first two years. So I never really learned grammar. I learned, like, how to, like, spell through sounds, so phonetically, so not with, like, spelling skills. And so I've never been good at copy editing. I've never been good at grammar, which is weird because I'm, like, a social media manager, and I have to spend probably double the amount (laughs) of time that I write editing my tweets for my company. And I was just like, I don't have time to edit an 86,000-word book in the amount of time it's going to take me to do, like, intense line edit so let's just pay somebody to do it work smart not hard
1: that is Hmm. very smart and knowing like knowing your limitations and like being able to reach out for help and like delegate when you need to is something that I am not good at but I feel like more people more authors people in publishing period because we all take on so much right um I feel like everyone's overworked um Mm -hmm. so doing those kinds of things I think are so are so super important that's very smart and I'm I'm guessing other people's like ears are turning hearing that
2: too yeah Yeah, when I tell other people that they're like oh my god like that's so smart I mean the Mm -hmm. the downside is that it gives you like 20 percent less time to write. So if a book is due in five months, I have to write it in four. So my copy editor, I actually have to do it in like four, three and a half. So my copy editor has a month to read it. And then I can reread it for two weeks to make sure everything's great.
0: I think what's good about it too, is that like, this is a very specific solution to a very specific personal problem that you feel like you understand about yourself. And I think that's important when it comes to giving and getting advice and publishing, because sometimes I do worry that advice that's given out, like how to write a book or how to find an agent is so generalized that it's actually not as applicable to everyone who's taking that advice. Um, but your story kind of highlights the fact that this is something that you've always known about yourself and it's very specific because of XYZ reason of your past and you took steps that you knew you needed, but you know, somebody else might not need this specific solution but the process of how you came to this conclusion is important to know
2: yeah I definitely agree with that like my like strength is in fast drafting like I draft very very fast but like the downside of that is like fast drafting is usually messy drafting and I don't like I will never give up fast drafting because I work a full-time job I'm in grad school so being able to write quickly is the way that I like sell books
1: Mm-hmm. for sure not me. that's okay I'm not <laughs> at anything <laughs> i oh <aw. laughs> well you know what that's not always true like i feel like the problem with me is that like i procrastinate in between like when i should be writing because when i sit down to write like you saw i finished my ya like so fast yeah you um did. but th- i have to like sit down to do it that's the problem and i'm like mm-hmm. not yet i want to go to shay shack
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I would I think that what we should recognize is that the getting ready to, to write is part of the process, too. Oh, like, absolutely.
1: Mm. We're still in our
0: process when we're watching gay dramas yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so, so, obviously, you know, you had to debut during uh, the pandemic and it's been challenging. How did you sort of um, juggle everything and what was your experience like, uh, you know, with your first experience having a book out when the world is on fire.
2: I the pandemic was a weird time I think for everybody. It was very weird to like not have in person book events, which is like such a heavy thing of marketing and mm. just like such an experience builder, like that ability to travel, which is a luxury, but also to meet readers face to face, meet librarians, meet booksellers. I think there's something really rich and of importance to build those connections. But what I did like about the virtual is that so many other people got to come to events. Like when I had my two book launches with Leah Johnson and Alice London, like people who don't live in New York and Philadelphia got to be able to learn about my book and to come and ask questions. Librarians who don't have the money by their from their library to travel to wherever ALA will be got to come to a virtual event, which meant that we got a different swath of people and readers interested in the book, which I think is... Something that we need to take into consideration when the world goes back to normal, hopefully according to Joe Biden by this fall, um, (laughs) for our events. But it was really weird. It was really hard to feel like you were ever making a dent because everybody was just doing digital marketing. And it's like, what is successful? What is not? Publishers were trying new things. Nobody Uh knew what they were doing. I was like, should I spend money on Facebook ads? I asked like hundreds of people. It was a mess.
0: Well, you're so that you are a digital media specialist and you do social media marketing as your day job. Like, do you think that affected at all about how you decided to handle your personal promotion of your book during the Panini? Definitely.
2: Definitely. Uh, so my like announcement thread for when the book like went debuted I used every trick in the book to make that thread <laughs> make sure it went viral I was like each one needs to have hashtags each one needs to be if it's, if it's removed from the thread you need to make sure it's its own narrative each one needs a photo to increase engagement I used all of my
0: that's nice I mean you do really well when it um, on your social media for sure like I think like your announcement like tweets often get like thousands of likes so you're definitely doing something right right for sure but do you well, okay would you, what is one piece of advice that you would want to give people just joining um writing twitter or publishing twitter like that wants to become more engaged with the community
2: i think that it takes time um, to build your own network and to find your own lane i think that there's so many of us who have, like, so many different points of view on Twitter, and you see, like, what, like, you, Clarabel, talk about is going to be, like, drastically different than what, like, I talk about Mm. and what's going to go viral. And what Adam Silvera or Ryan talks about or Phil or Julian is going to be so different than what, uh, like, Caleb talks about or Adam Mm. Sass. And so being able to find your lane that is relatable to the whole community but also is specified takes time. Like, we've been on Twitter for years, and we didn't just Mm -hmm. join million followers it took a lot of time for us to get those high numbers and if you're new it can seem very intimidating but experimenting and figuring out what you enjoy tweeting about and what you're going to like ride or die for i think is incredibly important because you don't need to talk about everything
0: yeah for sure and i love like that this explanation was like a, a waterfall of like author name easter eggs <laughs> like people being like what caleb adam who okay <laughs>
2: Everybody's lanes. Like I was like I can distinctly see like lanes with like Ryan's lane is just anything arts and crafts and I'm never going to talk about arts and crafts ever or Sailor Moon. This is not what I talk about. <laughs> I swear to god if
0: in a year you start talking about Sailor Moon, I'm going to bring this conversation up. I'm going to be like you promised that you would not. <laughs>
1: Ryan talks about Sailor Moon so much, so much. And I you never do- know what's going on because I've never watched Sailor Moon. What? Star.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. You
1: it's too late. <laughs> people know too much. You know,
0: I I feel like I know a lot of people who love Sailor Moon, and I do wonder if like I subconsciously sought those people out because I love Sailor Moon as a kid, or if it's just that like a lot of people in publishing love Sailor Moon. I think it might be the latter, but
1: <laughs> I think that uh, yeah, yeah, probably both, right? Because you 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 end up liking the same things, and then having like like minded interests as you get older to my mom was mm-hmm. just really strict with me about what I we, we always talk about Pokemon my mom didn't let me go there uh <laughs> because there was I don't know religious people were like Pokemon is evil <laughs> so how what yeah there was like this big conspiracy about Pokemon being like satanic back in the 90s <laughs> and so my mom was like no Pokemon for you <laughs> and I was like I okay mom <laughs> I can't see I can't
0: see it but I, I mean okay like well, people sure make I'm up not about I'm not TikTok, <laughs> tiktok mean okay I mean I'm kind of confused but alright I mean I don't really know what you're talking about
2: because my boyfriend doesn't know anything about Pokemon and so I just downloaded like shield Pokemon shield and so I was playing it and I was like originally what held me back from Pokemon shield is that you couldn't get Me. My absolute favorite Pokemon. But you can pay for the expansion pack, which has it. So I paid, got myself a Starmie, and was incredibly excited. And he was like, explain to me what a Starmie is and why it's of value. (laughs) There's nothing special about it. It's a purple star that screams hi-yah like a karate kid. It's a psychic and water Pokemon. That's all you need to know. And he was like, that doesn't make any sense.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The thing that that Pokemon taught us um, in the 90s and early 2000s was that Kids are really are actually really good at memorizing random facts, um, as long as we care about them. Like we like, who cares about like what happened back in the eighteen hundreds and all the names of like those historical figures or whatever? Like, tell me what type of Pokemon it is, its powers, its weaknesses, like all of that stuff, and and they can recite it <laughs> like from heart. Yes. But um so we're going off topic. We got into Pokemon. <laughs> we're not even talking about it
1: I wanna know about your rom com.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so so we talked about we talked about your your YA debut. Um, but obviously you have this queer rom com coming out that's adults. Um, do, do you wanna Yeah, tell us the quick pitch for I'm so not over you.
2: Ooh, I don't really have a good quick pitch, but I can do my best. Um okay. so It follows a failing journalist who is, really wants to work for like a Buzzfeed-esque company, but hasn't been able to get his foot in the door since graduating from college. And then he gets a call from his ex-boyfriend, which basically results in his ex-boyfriend saying, my parents are coming into town. They don't know that we have broken up and they consider you the best thing that has happened in my life. So I need you to pretend that you're still dating me. And in exchange, I will get you an interview because I went to high school with the guy who runs the buzzfeed S company called Spotlight. They go to a super fancy dinner. And lo and behold, because this young person who really wants to like win his parents' approval can't say no. His parents blurt out, you and Kian, the main character, are so cute together, you should come to your cousin's wedding down in Georgia. And he said, sure, we'll come, which forces them to keep up this lie for a whole nother week. And through a rom-comedy of errors, they fall back in love.
1: Aww. Oh, I love I, fake dating. Fake
0: dating <laughs> is the best. It Superior. Will, it will never not be interesting. It will always be fun and exciting. Um, I love it so much. I could just like imagine it in my head. I can see it as like a movie. Like I love it. I love
1: it. It's so great. I'm so excited for you. Are you going to be writing under the same name for your adult books as your YA or are you going to use a pen name?
2: I'm writing under the same name. So okay. we had a lot of discussion about it, but just like uh Rachel Solomon, I'm going to be writing under the same name.
0: Okay. Okay. What what made you what made you want to jump into adults at this point
2: i wanted to write something light and i was like let's try adult rom coms." and literally my agent jim was like you've never done this before so, <laughs> but, and, and and so we basically he was like all right fine our deal is that you can write 50 pages we'll go on sub with a very small list of like five people and if you don't sell it to those five people, then we have to write the full book because I don't believe in writing full books um, for like to sell them. <laughs> and but you,
0: you doesn't don't believe in
2: it? No, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in it because I strongly believe, I understand the benefit of it that you have like a complete book and you can usually get more money from it. But for me, I'm just so busy. I don't have the time to invest six, eight months on a book mm. that might not sell.
1: Yeah, I understand. I completely understand that. I really do, cause it's it's hard to to put all that time and effort into something. Um, sometimes it just turns out like that, like uh, if you if you're writing like in between projects. But mm-hmm. I get that, I get it.
0: <laughs> I think it's definitely. I think it's not for everybody, for sure. It's interesting too, because some. Pe- so, it's it's a business strategy, right? Like, we, us being having been in publishing now for like a couple of years, we understand why some people would go on sub with a partial or some people would wait to have a full. Um, but I, I also think that it's another one of those things where like you can get advice about it that's generalized, but that advice might not be good for your, you as a specific author, like how you write or what type of career you envision for yourself. I know that like people say to write the full because technically fulls statistically get more money upfront offered on advances, like just in general. But then you have to like also realize that you might've wasted your time if you write a whole entire full Mm -hmm. novel and it doesn't sell. So it's kind of like the risk risk reward factor You know, you have to see what the balance is for you as an author. Um, so it's a very interesting choice.
1: Um, so Kat, should we, uh, do you wanna maybe say what a proposal is for like uh, people who don't know?
0: Yeah, okay. Um, so when we are talking about selling on proposal, what we pretty much mean is that we're selling to a publisher without having written the complete book. So a proposal is generally a summary uh, which can be anywhere from one page to, you know, 10 plus pages, depending on how involved you want to get. Um, and sample pages. So sample chapters of how you imagine the prose sounding so they can get an idea for what the voice of the book is going to be. Um, so a lot of book packagers sell on Proposal. Um, a lot of people giving their option book to their existing publisher will sell on Proposal. Or, like Kosoka said, You can just write your next book on proposal and go on wide submission and hope that an editor sees the gold in your idea.
2: That was perfect.
1: Yay. I think there's also a lot of pressure that comes with selling a book on proposal because you haven't written it yet. And now suddenly you have to write it and you usually have less time to write it. And that is a whole other process too, that if you're not used to it it can feel really high pressure and sort of stressful. Mm -hmm. Um, I've written a couple of books on proposal now. So like I'm, I am pretty used to it, but I still have panic about it every single time. So, um, so I get like, like both, being uh, of having their pros and cons, you know, and I think it also depends on the type of writer you are. Like um, Kosoko, you said that you uh, you draft really quickly, so I feel like it it's not really to your detriment to sell on proposal because you write fast, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. If like someone just s- mm-hmm. go ahead,
2: sorry, I could draft like eighty six thousand words in about four months.
1: So oh, like wow. that, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: So it's that I'm a, so like it. Is to my advantage to sell on proposal because I can draft really fast. And mm-hmm. when I do sell them, which is always like the bit difference between proposal and uh, fulls, is that the synopsis that I send to editors is usually eight pages single spaced. So you get like a very detailed, you get like a 16 page double spaced synopsis. The synopsis <laughs> is long. So I use that as a framework.
0: So yeah. do you, since you sell on proposal, since you like selling on Proposal, do you think that the way you see your relationship with your editors at your houses is different? Because, you know, you have the opportunity to have them kind of there from the ground floor because you're drafting after you've sold. Like, do you take advantage of that or do you think you still kind of treat it as like, let me finish the whole book first before you see it?
2: I am really lucky that um, Christine Schwartz at uh, Berkeley is the one who bought my rom So she bought it in a two book deal. So, I'm working on the second one with working from the ground floor. And it's so helpful to be able to like have conversations with her and call and be like, here's a feature or a trope I'm looking to explore, but I don't know if this other trope does this, or I don't know which one is stronger. And we've been really like, over the past couple months, just going back and forth and talking about books in a way that's just so freeing than having like a book already set and then an editor being like, 50% of this is trash. <laughs> And it really depends on your agent, too, I feel. Because, like like I said, Jim is very much like... I've pitched many YA ideas to him, and he's like, okay, this one is going to be an idea that's kind of difficult to stick the landing, so editors are going to want to see a full. Or this one is more traditional of, like, a science fiction traditional book. You've established yourself as a science fiction YA author. I am confident we can sell this on proposal. It's different for each book. It's different from each author. So I don't think it's a catch-all, and what i don't want is a whole bunch of listeners who like then email their edit their agents like we need to sell my book so proposal <laughs> right
0: yeah well i think that's that i think that's a good point to make because like i'm so not over you like when you were just describing it even though you said you don't have a great quick pitch like the tropes of it are so visceral like we understand them so well that i can see why you know, an editor would be like, this will be great, I can already tell, without having to read the whole entire manuscript all written out, as opposed to like a book that might be considered quieter or more literary or whatever, um, you might need to be like, well, how would you execute that?
2: Exactly. And I think it's like important as always in this writing process to like, talk about the back end, like I wrote five to six 50 page proposals for other books before we got to this to put on sub. So we worked on it for like eight months. So I pretty much wrote 400 pages before selling 50 pages.
1: Oh, wow. That's that's a lot. (laughs) Um, That is so intense. How much iced coffee were you consuming? A lot. Like every
2: single time I submitted something, Jim was like, this is great. It's a little closer, but not this idea. And then we just each step was a little bit, a little bit closer. And then finally we got there.
0: That's nice, though. I mean, it's really good to have an agent who can, like, really drive you to enhance your craft like that, too.
2: Oh, if Jim told me we needed to, like, steal the Declaration of Independence, I'd be like, I'm taking PTO right now. Let's go.
0: <laughs> Apparently, it's not hard to, like, break into the, <laughs> to Congress. So, um, sorry. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Um, so, uh, here's the thing. Jim is not your first agent. Um, so... But you guys obviously have like a really amazing working relationship. Do you Mm. mind kind of just like talking about the process that you went through in order to like find an agent after you already had one and what made you know, what helped you know that Jim was the agent for you?
2: Sure. So again, this process like worked for me because I had been in Twitter for so long. When I was looking for a new agent, I knew exactly what I wanted, like the five. Like main criteria. I wanted somebody who was a little better at communication. I wanted someone who was more wide and letting me like write kind of whatever I wanted. It didn't pigeonhole me into specific genres. And so I had been in Twitter for like maybe five years, so I had built good connections. So I reached out to fellow authors who I knew well. Like, I'm looking for a new agent. Your agent is like a great choice, I think. Do you mind talking to me about them? I'll send you my proposal packet if you have the time, and then let's go over like if you think there'd be a good uh, fit and. I was lucky enough that a lot of people took the time. They reviewed it. They said like, my agent's a great fit. My agent's not. But the ones who did were like, I'll offer you a referral. So I submitted, which started my proposal like journey. I submitted a hundred page proposal for a book, five other like paragraph pitches from other books that I wanted to write and kind of like a letter about like why I would be a good client. Submitted it to about eight different agents. A week later had an offer from five. And then um, Jim McCarthy made an offer, which is funny because throughout my whole publishing journey, Jim and I have been back and forth. I had submitted to him like three other times. He rejected three other books. And then he was finally like, this is the right one. Oh, yay.
1: Jim
2: Jim rejected both of us. (laughs) If you're listening,
1: Jim has so many of these stories where it's like he rejected because uh, Taylor's story was similar too mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Y- like people have to keep coming back to him and back to him and like I think because he reads so fast like he goes through so he breaks so many of our hearts um, <laughs> um, but I really love that like every single gym client that we've had is always like yeah he rejected me a couple times and then like finally it worked out uh, it's always sort of like that situation with him which I think is really funny well you know
0: Mm -hmm. I feel, I feel like this is, this is kind of highlights the fact that it is really, it's just as hard for an agent as for a writer to find the best fit, because they're only going on the one project you query them, right? And so they're like, is this project indicative of your whole entire author persona or who you will be? And can I guide you based on books that are just like this? That's all they have going, like going to go on. So they have to just assume that this is, like, representative of of your author identity, right? Um, Which I think is why we always tell people, like, don't write to market, just write a book that you're really passionate about. Because, like, God forbid, you know, you start out your career with a book that's not you at all, and then you try to pivot into who you really are. And people are like, this isn't what we expect from you, you know?
2: Oh, yeah, exactly that. And like the, big, the book that I submitted to him, like, will probably never see the light of day just because it wasn't the right book, but it was a book that I wanted to write. It was basically like a disease thriller back way before like COVID or anything. And I have like an epidemiology <laughs> background. I like thrillers. So I was like, let's write a YA disease thriller. And it was like the one that got me off- offers.
0: Yeah. That's... You knew, you knew back then. <laughs> <laughs> You understood that this is going to happen, so you're like, okay, I'm going to write it. And then you're like, you know what? No, maybe it will be too much for people. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> just like all of your psychic powers <laughs> that you put into this process. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, but I, I, really, I really actually do like how you are so involved in the community and how... Like, you definitely use your voice for a purpose. I think it's important because, like, getting involved in the community, we always tell people to do that. But then we never tell them, like, what it's like once you're inside of the community sometimes. Mm. And it is a minefield, you know. Like, there's so many different conversations going on. And I think, like, everyone has a right to pick and choose, like, where what spaces they're comfortable in. But for you, I definitely think that you speak out about things. You're definitely advocate for, you know, diversity and equality and, and all of those things. So, you know, did that come about because you were already involved in that, especially because yesterday's history is about, you know, people being activists, or is that a part of yourself that you discovered along your publishing journey?
2: So my publishing journey and my, like, professional journey went hand in hand. Um, So I started actually working in digital media in 2014, which was around the time that I actually joined Twitter. And because my job was in digital media, I spent so much time online that part of it was, like, tweeting for a company. So I also had my personal Twitter open. And I think it was, like, on Goodreads. It was, like, a Goodreads forum or something where they were, like, advice for new authors. Like, join author Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I just like started following, I think it was like Adam Silvera was one of like my, my first follows. And then I kind of spun out through there and then I just got more involved, but I've always been an activist at my heart. My parents were activists. I've worked in nonprofits. All my parents worked in nonprofits. So they kind of just went hand in hand. And so when I started to decide that I wanted to write like queer boys who are black and I wanted those to always be the center of my stories. And I wasn't going to like kill black queer boys unless it was like very mm-hmm. interesting storyline. I think they kind of just went hand in hand, but what I am learning, which I think it was clear who said this, Twitter gets really disgusting when you get over 5,000 followers and then mm-hmm. it gets more to, closer you get to 10. Yep. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it,
0: you just get more people who aren't necessarily following you because they agree with you. They're following you because they want to start stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Mm.
2: Listen, I said that the worst song in Disney was Moana's "Shiny," and people are like, "What about the Pocahontas song about colonialism?" And I was like, "It is a Disney song. Mm. It's its so hard when there's just so many people that follow you, and as that grows more and more, there's just like not everybody's a good actor."
1: Yeah. True. I posted a video. But also, "Shiny" is
0: underappreciated. I'm sorry.
2: Here we go. I'm sorry
1: cat it's just you're proving it's just not traditional
0: disney sounding so people reject okay you know what we're not going to do this right now
1: i posted a video of a dog farting into a microphone and people got mad under that but granted it (laughs) went viral yes like the 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 more the more people interact with the tweet the more like like outer space takes you get and like people were like i would never let my dog fart on the microphone first of all it was edited it wasn't like even like someone edited the video right and people were getting mad that it was edited they were like this is not an original video it's like have you been on tiktok before like that is the whole point of the entire platform anyway people will get mad at anything that you post on twitter (laughs) kirkles getting heated up in here (laughs)
0: I I would also say, like, be careful when you reply to a tweet that's going viral, because mm. people go to the tweet, the viral tweet, and then they'll scroll the replies, and they'll fight with
2: people in the replies, too.
1: Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And then oh, you'll be tagged exactly. for life.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't really know. So, like, I guess the only things that like, I'm not somebody who is very, like, proud of myself. I also, I expect a lot from myself. So even when I, like, got my got an agent, I was like this is great and I really appreciate it. And I was like, awesome to have, but like, I was just like, all right, so now I need to sell a book. I'm always looking for like the next step and I don't know how to enjoy moments, but to actually have a book on the bookshelf and to go into Barnes and Noble and see your book, that is a feeling that you just don't understand until you do it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, that's for sure. Have you
2: gone to a
0: bookstore or have you been able to?
2: I went to like four different bookstores in New York like the one in Union Square, mm-hmm. I went to the one by the Oculus and World Trade the X World Trade Center, and I've gone to McNally's up on like eighty something. Mm-hmm. And I've seen my book, and one woman was like, "Oh, are you looking at this book? It's the last copy." And I was like, "The last copy? That means people are buying it." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Were you so like nice. actually? I
0: re- Were you like actually? I wrote it.
2: <laughs> I was like, um, "I'm the author," and then she was like, "Can I see your ID?" And I was like, Wait. the pictures on the on the back. I
1: can't. Uh. She ID'd you. You know what? Actually,
0: I did get ID'd at the uh, Park Slope Barnes Noble, and I ha- I talked to them about. It. I was like, okay, I was like, this is interesting. I'm like, what? Like, is there a reason why you want to ID people? Like, do people just come in and <laughs> try to sign books? Because I was really curious, and she was like, well, I guess no, that's never happened. But like, you better safe than sorry, I guess. Which I was like, fair. I I can understand that. Like, maybe I... What if I, like, changed my hair since I, like, took my author photo? I don't know. Um, but I was like, you know, no one's ever ID'd me before. And and she was, like, very much
1: like they should. I was like, okay, I'm sorry. If somebody... Yeah, if somebody goes through the trouble of pretending to be me to sign books, just let them do it. Like, <laughs>
0: I would... If I had more courage and if it, I had, like, my own, like, hidden camera show... I would like go into bookstores and be like, Hi, my
1: name is Marie Lou. Can I see no. no. See, and in that it's... case they probably wouldn't ID you. They'd be like, oh yeah, of course you're Marie Lou.
0: You're Asian, them. so of course you are. I'm gonna go in and be like, Hi, I'm you know, I'm Kevin Kwan.
1: Can I <laughs> sign these books? Oh my gosh.
0: No.
3: Mi-young has a secret. She's a gumiho, a shape-shifting nine-tailed fox that must hunt down men and devour their energy in order to live forever. No one in modern-day Seoul believes in the old tales anymore, which makes it the perfect place to hide and to hunt. But Miyoung's life is turned upside down when she saves the life of a human boy on Jihoon. And after Myung saves Jihoon's life, the two form a tenuous friendship that blooms into romance, setting them down a path that will soon force Myung to choose between her immortal life and Jihoon's. Wicked Fox and its companion novel Vicious Spirits finds inspiration in Korean mythology, culture, and K-dramas. Wicked Fox has been called a vibrant debut novel that employs Korean genre conventions for an utterly original take on the young adult fantasy by Entertainment Weekly, and fresh and fast-paced by School Library Journal Review. Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits are out now from Penguin Random House wherever books are sold. The choices made in Wicked Fox have had far-reaching effects, and Myung’s friends are about to find out the dire consequences. The forces that govern life and death have been upended and there are supernatural entities lurking in the background that will stop at nothing to right their world. New romance and dangers abound in Vicious Spirits, the companion novel to the crowd-pleasing Wicked Fox. This contemporary fantasy duology finds inspiration in Korean mythology, culture, and K-dramas. Wicked Fox has been called a vibrant debut novel that employs Korean genre conventions for an utterly original take on the young adult fantasy by Entertainment Weekly and fresh and fast paced by School Library Journal Review. Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits are out now from Penguin Random House, wherever books are sold.
1: All right. So, everyone who's on the podcast tells us their most embarrassing uh, publishing related story or something they wish they'd known before they started. You can do either or, you can do both. It's up to you.
2: Oh, something that's most embarrassing in my publishing journey. Oh, or something that I knew before I started. I definitely am like trying to think because I've had many embarrassing publishing a character as being like very muscular in my book and because like in the gay community like we have specific terms that like don't apply to the average world so I said that like one of the guys has thunder thighs (laughs) and my boyfriend was like Kasoko for the average person thunder thighs means he's fat and I was Mm. like wait what I was like but like gay men with thunder thighs are like nice, thick thighs that can like scratch your head <laughs> like a watermelon. He's like, no, that's not what that means. You're describing your character as being overweight. I was like, oh, my God. I emailed my publicist like 80 times, like just a chain of emails on a Sunday night. I literally think it was seven emails. I called her work phone. I called her cell phone. Luckily, she was like, yeah, we already knew that's not what you meant. And it was changed. <laughs> what was it changed to? Did they <laughs> I tell just you? I deleted what he- the sentence. Oh, okay, okay. So we understood that wasn't what you meant You Like, is this a gay
1: thing? Oh my god, the stories that I hear from, like, Ryan and Phil about copy editors misunderstanding uh, gay terminology, like, sickening, it's so funny to me all the time. (laughs) Like, (laughs) is this supposed to read as positive? Because it doesn't. It's like, the readers will understand. (laughs)
2: Understand, but it's like different and i can understand that like you have to write for a wide range of audiences so i mm-hmm. get it but i was like oh my god yeah see i didn't know the thunder
1: thighs thing at all and i'm like surrounded by gay men at all times so
2: i i would have had no idea i would have thought it meant fat too yeah. Listen, I'm gonna get a whole bunch of readers who are like, "No, kasoka that means fat. You only, you're the only person." Mm-hmm. It. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like this isn't a
0: gay thing; it's a kasoka thing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm going to come and I just myself.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, uh, can you please tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet?
2: Sure. On Instagram and Twitter, my name is Kosoko Jackson on both platforms. So K O S O K O Jackson. And please follow me on Instagram because I am trying to release myself from the prison of the Bird app. And to- <laughs> so please, I mean, follow me on both. If I need to hit that ten k on Twitter, but also please follow me.
1: Reels, you gotta, you gotta post reels, and they have to be without the uh what? Well, I don't know if you're on TikTok, but. You can't use the watermarked TikToks anymore. They said they won't be pushing those, so you have to like do the screen record or whatever, and then post that to Reels so that they uh, they push your account out to people now. Little tip.
0: Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yes, we- we're so
1: happy to have you. So excited for all your books. Everybody go buy the prerequisite 20 copies of Yesterday is History. Or as you know, the podcast will not reach your phone next week. Okay? (laughs) We have a list. We
0: know who you are. We
1: know who you are. We're keeping track of you. Okay?
0: Yeah. We see you, Kyle.
1: (laughs) It's always Kyle. It's
0: always Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Ride or Die.
1: Be sure to check out Wicked Fox by Kat Cho.
3: And Ghost Squad by Claribel A. Ortega. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. See you next time, wordies. And don't forget to spread the word.